So as you guys know, we are in a series um, entitled The Best, on oh, that Siri, Series. My goodness. Which one? Not that. Here are some options. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we're in a series uh, entitled The Best is Yet to Come, and uh, somehow through this series, we ended up in the book of Revelation. Um, and we've been looking at this book, and uh, today we're going to look at chapter 13 of Revelation, and uh, we're going to, I promised some big things last week. Uh, we're going to reveal who the beast of Revelation is. We're going to solve the mystery of his number, 666. Ooh. Uh, and if we have time, we will even reveal to you who the Antichrist is. Right? Everybody wants to know who the Antichrist is? I'm going to tell you today. Mandy got upset with me that I jokingly said a name last week, so I'm not going to make, an, make any, any jokes this time. So, so buckle up, buttercup. The truths and revelations are about to drop. So, so in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Isn't there a tongue twister about that? Um, so chapter... <laughs> Chapter 13 begins with the dragon that we've seen in chapter 12, and he's on the seashore, and uh, we see, as we've seen from chapter 12, that this dragon is the evil spiritual force, it literally says it's Satan and the devil, that was manipulating and controlling Rome, the Roman government, to carry out its persecution on the children of God. We've seen all that laid out. Last week in, chap in chapter 12. And if, if you think about it, Rome does seem to rise out of the Mediterranean Sea on that little peninsula of Italy. So the verse 1 continues with a new character that shows up. And th this character is also coming out of sea, and it's called the beast. And so, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Then I saw the beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten uh, diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth were like, those, like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So who was this beast? Who was this beast? Um, where does this beast come from, first of all? It came from the same place that the, that the dragon came from. It came up out of the sea. And uh, also, the dragon, we notice the dragon gave the beast power, his throne, and great authority. So we know that the dragon was the spiritual forces behind the Roman Empire. And this beast comes up, and the dragon turns over a throne and authority and power to this individual, to this beast. And if we use the Bible to interpret, interpret the Bible, if you go to the book of Daniel, we see that in his visions that he had of beasts, they represented, they represented rulers of nations, right? So we can either fantasize about what this beast could be, or we could say, you know what, Daniel said that these beasts 
in, 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 in his revelation, in his vision, was rulers. And so we can agree with Daniel that this beast in Revelation must be the same thing. Right? Okay. And seeing that this dragon gave his power to the beast, we can know that this beast as being one of the rulers of the Roman Empire. And if you study the events of history, there is one empire, emperor that stunningly fits the description that John details in the verses that follow. This Roman Empire, the beast, was Nero. The actions of Nero fits how John sees the beast. Now, I told everybody last week that this, this uh, message has a PG-13 um, rating. It's not like my fountains and cisterns marriage message that had an R rating. We, be, we basically went through the Song of Solomon and talked about everything that was permissible in marriage. Man, I got to stop talking about that. So, 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 I'm just giving you that heads up. We're going to talk about some stuff that is truth and what happened in history, but uh, um, some people aren't prepared for such language to be said in in church. So, uh, maybe it's not as bad as I make it out to be. So, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 5, it says, There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven, and was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe, people, tongue, nation was given to him. Now, um, I don't know if I plan on saying this next week or if I just forgot to put it in this week, but I know I'm not saying it this week, but I'm going to say it now since we did it. That 42 months, that's exactly the, the reign of Nero. So John described how this ruler blasphemed God and was extremely evil. And it's hard to imagine a ruler more brutal than Nero was. Nero demanded and enjoyed the worship of the Roman people. He actually had a 120-foot image of himself built in Rome. In Ephesus, archaeologists have found inscriptions that call Nero Almighty God and Savior. Nero had many of his own family members killed, including his pregnant wife, in which died by Nero kicking her to death while she was pregnant. Nero was blatant in public with his homosexual activity. He forced a young boy to marry him and had the, had the public ceremonies of a, a wedding and all of this. Then he took the boy, had him castrated, and used him as his wife. Nero also carried out an incestuous relationship with his own mother. 
Nero, does this sound like a beast? Nero would often dress up as a wild beast, and he would attack, rape, and murder both male and female prisoners. He enjoyed attacking their sexual organs with his teeth. See, this is, this is, this is why people get so confused about Revelation. They don't know the history. This might be R-rated. Nero took great pleasure in watching people being tortured and suffering the most horrendous deaths. Nero would actually dip Christians into tar, then line his courtyard, throw a party, and light them on fire to light up the party at night. Finally, at age 31... Nero killed himself. Well, that shows you. <laughs> well, that shows you where that where that lifestyle leads to. He killed himself. I mean, talk about a monster. Talk about a beast. And you can read John's perspective from the spiritual realm of, of his nature and what he was like through Revelation chapter verses eight and seventeen of chapter thirteen. And it's describing Nero's reign of terror. And you can do that on your, on your own. Chapter 13 ends with John revealing exactly who the beast was. And if there's any doubt, let's take a look. In verse 18 it says, Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. John gave a number by which the beast could be identified, and it was 666, 666. This number has got, caused great superstition <laughs> in the body of Christ. It has been used to drive fear into the heart of many. And if you lived at that time of Nero... It would, but we don't live in that time. It has been the subject of preaching, books, movies, and for those that enjoy that Christian fantasy, you might want to plug your ears because it's about to get revealed. First of all, we have to think, we have to think like a person that was living in the time that John was writing this and reading it for the very first time. Many of the first century Christians were Jews. They were Jewish converts. And many of them led churches in which this letter or book was, was sent. And one of the things that we need to understand is that in the Roman alphabet, the Roman alphabet possessed numerical values. You know this, right? So like I equals 1, V equals 5, X equals 10, C equals a hundred? M is a thousand. Right? So we know that D, C, L, X, V, I is equivalent to the number of 666 in, Roman, in the Roman alphabet. And do you know what these letters of the, the numerical equivalent to these Roman alphabet for 666 reveals? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't reveal anything. 
But I said that John was a Hebrew. And this letter was written to many Hebrews. And what is interesting is just like the Roman alphabet, which possess numerical values, so does the Hebrew alphabet. And do you know what the, what the numeric equivalent of 666 is in the Hebrew alphabet, what that reveals? It spells out N-R-W-N-Q-S-R, which is pronounced Neron, Neron Kaiser which when translated into English, the English language reveals the beast to be Nero Caesar. Ta-da! So why do you think John chose to use a number rather than Nero's name? Because... Can you imagine, with everything that was happening at this time, if family members, loved ones, brothers and sisters in Christ being tortured, being killed, to have a letter that spread out throughout the churches that said something negative about the Emperor Nero? He was protecting the body of Christ. I know. I know this... This busts a lot of the hype. You don't have to be afraid of the number 666 anymore. You don't have to worry about it getting on your forehead. The the hysteria that the church has used with this number is almost embarrassing. And some will choose to continue this fantasy, even though that the truth is self-evident. For a lot of you, you should be mad. When you think about the money you spent on books, movies, and teaching series. The mark of the beast in 666. I mean, it, it's Christian libraries are filled with it. You can find hundreds of books entitled The Mark of the Beast. But I challenge you to find one on the subject of the mark of God. Do you know that the phrase, Mark of God, Seal of God, and the Name of God, which is written on the foreheads of God's people, is mentioned in the book of Revelation the same number of times that the phrase, Mark of the Beast, is mentioned? You didn't know that, did you? Both are mentioned seven times. This should tell us about the spiritual condition of the church. We are focused more on the beast than who we are in Christ. Shouldn't we spend more time studying out the mark of the beast? Or the mark of God, excuse me, than the mark of the beast? Yeah. When I say that that Revelation talks about the mark of God, and, and you don't even realize it talks about it. That just shows you how much time we're not focused on Jesus. And this book is entitled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Well then, what about the Antichrist? Was Nero the Antichrist? Well, he was definitely Antichrist. 
But no, he was not the Antichrist. So you're thinking, so there's an Antichrist that is to come. What might surprise you, what might surprise you is that the word Antichrist never shows up in the book of Revelation. Not once. (laughs) The only place the word Antichrist is used in the entire Bible is in 1st and 2nd John. And who wrote the book of Revelation? John. So if the Antichrist was tied to this beast in Revelation, don't you think he would use the same wording? But he didn't. So who is this Antichrist that John wrote about? Or better yet, what is the Antichrist that John wrote about? But one thing you have to understand about John and his ministry is that it was primary in Asia Minor, which was the ground zero for a perversion of Christianity. That is still, you can still hear it in people's doctrines today. There's even whole organizations, cults, that follow this type of doctrine. See, they took Christianity and they added this Jewish thinking And it created a cult called Gnosticism. You ever hear of History Channel? The Gnostic Gospels. Like they found something new. No, this is old. Been there, done that. Debunked it. See, John's ministry was was primary in Asia Minor, which was ground zero for for these beliefs. And, And the first century Gnostics... Well, Gnosticism was a view in which the spiritual world was distinctly separated from the natural world. In other words, God was spiritual and he had nothing to do with the natural realm. The spiritual world was considered to be good and the natural world was considered to be evil and corrupt. We still see that today. When we we talk about money or we talk about sex or we talk about... um, just enjoying life as something that is, not, is lesser than. Right? But no, God created all things for us to enjoy. But we enjoy it in the boundaries of what he, how he created it to be enjoyed. See, when you use something in a way that it wasn't intended, it breaks or it breaks the thing that is using it. Right? If you, take, if you take a hammer to an engine when it needs, needs a wrench, either that hammer's going to break or that engine's going to break. And when you take the things that God created for us to enjoy and you pervert them and use them in a way that they were never intended to be used, you see broken marriages. You see ruined finances. You see, you see bro- broken bodies. You see minds that are, that are depressed and delusion, and and, and just tormented. You see the world that we live in. But God created everything, and when he got all done with it, he didn't say, man, I messed up. No, he says, no, this is good. This is good. And the first thing we did is something that wasn't good. See, Gnostics taught of a supreme, hidden God, and then a malevolent, lesser 
divinity who is responsible for creating the material universe. So, so Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, he was, he was too put off about the natural that he didn't want nothing to do with its creation. You know, there, there, is a, there is a teaching out there that says that Jesus is not God. He, is, he was a lesser uh, deity and that our goal is to come up and to <laughs> equal with Jesus. That he was just showing us what was possible as a human. I think it's called, uh, they even use his name, Jehovah Witness. But, uh, but anyways... The spiritual world was continued to be uh, considered to be good, and the natural world was corrupt. Um, They taught that there was that Gnostics considered the principal element of salvation to be direct knowledge of the supreme divinity in the form of mystical or esoteric insight. So, in other words, trances going deeper in the spirit and more and more getting deeper revelation and deeper understanding, searching for more and more and more until you reach a place of enlightenment. If you go past Jesus, you're lost. Jesus is the revelation of God. And that's what these Gnostics were doing. We, you see that today. You see, the people aren't satisfied with the gospel. They're not satisfied with Jesus. They're not satisfied. They, they, they want to do something on their own. I want to become more. When in Christ, you already got it. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are in the very throne room of God. The Spirit of God lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead quickens our mortal bodies. For many of us, you have a prayer language that you speak the, the wisdom of God. Hmm. So, so many Gnostics um, texts deal not in concept, concepts of sin and repentance, but with illusion and enlightenment led to salvation. So those that embraced this truth received the gospel, and then they started to teach that God could not have taken on flesh and blood coming into a corrupt world in the form of Jesus. You understand that? When Gnosticism comes into Christianity, you have to reject Christ. Because Jesus Christ became God Almighty, became flesh and blood, and dwelt among us. You understand that? And they said that everything's natural is evil, is corrupt. So there's no way that God, there's no way God could come in the flesh. This was a teaching in John's time. This, this led to many false teachings about the nature of Jesus. Also thinking of, the, of this natural world as corrupt led them to believe that a person must be very spirit conscious to be a good Christian. And so they denied. You see this in the, in, in the church, especially in in medieval times, denying fleshly, um, natural passions, natural, you know, good food, good drinks, marriage, forbidding men to marry, 
forbidden those to marry. Does that sound familiar to any, anything? Taking vows of poverty. So they had to be the spiritual conscious, hiding away and, and trying to get more and more enlightenment, separating yourself from the world. Jesus separated himself from the world. Why? So he could spend time with the Father so that he could minister to the world. I'm sure, there's, we had monasteries. We had all these things. Gnosticism is still alive and well in the body of Christ today. Um, Gnosti, um, their, their whole goal was to be more and more enlightened, and they taught a per, that a person must have secret knowledge of God. I mean, there's ministries out there that's all about that. Getting, unlocking the secrets and the mystery. The secrets and mystery of God have been unlocked. It's Jesus Christ. This is why the word Gnosticism literally means knowledge. Gnosticism took on many forms. Some rejected the Old Testament and said that it was the devil, that God in the Old Testament was the devil, and that Jesus came to reveal an unknown father. Other Gnostics taught that the Old Testament rituals were still valid for Christians, even teaching vegetarianism, and were opposed to any natural enjoyment. They reject any sexual expression, even within marriage. While others taught freedom. Man, does this that sound like that, that, that the only That only spiritual mattered. And seeing everything was natural, was already corrupt. Let's have parties, let's get drunk, and let's have orgies. That was the two extremes. We see it today. You, you have the strict religious people that, miss, that think that's all about you. That, that it's all about you, and you, you must do, 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 and be in line, and get me become more holy, become more sanctified, become more righteous. And then you have the, the other extreme that, oh, it's all grace, man. You can do whatever you want. You can live whatever you want. You can, it's, it's all by God's grace. It's always in the center, folks. It's realizing that you are the righteousness of God by God's grace. You are holy because of God's grace. You have been sanctified by God's grace. You have been redeemed by God's grace. You are the very righteousness of God by God's grace. And by God's grace, you live out those realities. Two extremes. If you read Corinthians, you can see Paul fighting with these people. They're getting drunk at communion service and going up and Worshiping it with temple prostitutes. I'm sorry, I tell it like it is. You, the church needs to understand. And I, you know what? There's people still taking communion and going out worshiping the temple prostitutes. But anyways, one of the most prominent Gnostic teachers was a man called, you know me, I just like last week, I called Britain Britain. Um, this, this is uh, uh, Serenithus, C-E-R-I-N-T-H-U-S. And he was a Jew who lived in Asia Minor. He taught that Jesus was the son of Joseph and Mary and not born of a virgin. People still teach that today. Just, I mean, Christians teach that. 
just as ordinary, just an ordinary man and a heavenly spirit called Christ came upon him at his baptism and then left him at his crucifixion. Historical records tell us that John was so horrified by um, this guy, Cernetheus, in his teachings that on one occasion, John was walking into the public bathhouse with his disciples, and he seen him in there, and in, 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 he was an ethicist, and he came out running and screaming with, to his disciples to, to, to leave this place because the house might cave in on itself because the enemy of truth was inside. This was the setting in which John ministered. It was a huge cult. The church fathers eventually rejected it and, commanded, and condemned its teachings. As soon as you have this understanding of the historical setting in which John ministered, you have a greater understanding of John's writing. Look at how he starts off in his own gospel. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you see how profound this statement now is? Gnostics taught that everything natural was evil. They could not believe that Jesus could have been God at the same time take on human flesh. John boldly proclaimed that Jesus is God, that he took on human flesh, and that he came into this world. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, What was from the beginning that we have heard, that we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifest, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was from the Father and was manifest to us. What's John saying here? John starts out with his first epistle, clearly saying and forcefully condemning Gnosticism. John said that he and other disciples saw Jesus. They touched Jesus with their own hands, that Jesus manifest himself in the world, in the flesh, and that he was God. With this historical understanding, we can understand more clearly when John wrote the following. In John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to us, or is he talking to the people that he's writing to? He's talking to people he's writing to, right? By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Any teaching that does not confess that Jesus Christ came into the flesh, 
and that Jesus Christ was God is the spirit of Antichrist. According to John, when was the Antichrist active in the world? Then. It says, have gone out into the world and now is already in the world. John is talking not about a future Antichrist, but Antichrist active during the li his lifetime. Look at this next passage in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. Here, John does not give us a description or a, a, a identity or a definition of Antichrist, but he does expand our understanding by telling us that there are many Antichrists, not just one. Further, he tells us they are already in the world. They have already appeared in John's lifetime. In 1 John Chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, he continues opening our understanding. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And he's talking about that they're one. And the fourth and last passage in which the Antichrist is mentioned is 2 John chapter 1 verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. 1 John 2.18, now many Antichrists have appeared. 1 John 4.3, now it is already in the world. 1 John 4.1, have gone out into the world. 2 John one seven have gone out into the world. And the worship team come back up. John clearly told his readers that the Antichrist was active during his lifetime, during their lifetime during the first century. And that it was a teaching. It was those that teach that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh and that Jesus Christ was not God. I understand for some of you this is very troubling. <laughs> when so many out there are teaching that the Antichrist is some future figure that will rule the world. But we must conform our beliefs to Scripture and not Scripture to our beliefs. So what does this mean? Does this... Does this mean that it has no relevance to us today? No, it has great relevance. It has great relevance. Because this same false teaching, even in churches, is alive and well today. The spirit of Antichrist is still in the world. Anything. And I'm going to say something that's going to get people mad, but... Some of the most such, uh, subjective people, subjective, those that are the, it's the most dangerous, are full, full gospel, spirit-filled people. Always wanting more. You got it all. There's no more to get. Just walk in what you got. You have everything. You have the very 
Spirit of Christ living in you. There's no more to get. Jesus, he poured it all out on the day of Pentecost. Taking a new goosebump or a new tingle or what? Oh, God's here. He never left. And the spirit of Antichrist is still in the earth. Whenever, whenever, whenever a pastor, a teacher gets off the subject of Jesus Christ, and I understand there's some teachings on history of the Old Testament and stuff like that, that but the one thing that you're going to find here at Karis New Testament Church is we preach Jesus. No, we, we just don't say we preach Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything we preach and proclaim. He is our king. He is God. He is resurrected and seated at the throne of majesty, high and lifted up. And, and we're going to see, we're going to see in these coming weeks, we're going to see in, in chapter 14, we're going to see how the kingdom of God is advancing against the Roman Empire. And the kingdom of God is continuing to grow and grow as that mountain, and it's going to fill up the earth. And we're part of that kingdom. We are part of that expansion. We are the kingdom of God is alive and well. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the lies that the church is shrinking. It's not shrinking. It's expanding at an ever-increasing rate. Maybe the, maybe the church that you are is shrinking, but not here. We're, 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 we're growing deeper in the knowledge of who we are in Christ Jesus. We're growing up into the full statue of who, who he is. God's kingdom is healthy. God's kingdom is strong. There might be, some, there might be a s- certain pockets that <laughs> need reviving, need awakening. But throughout the world, there is no kingdom like our our, 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 our God's kingdom. It's the largest kingdom in the world, and it's going to continue to expand and expand because the best is yet to come. And when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, boy, it ain't going to get any better than that. We, there, there's other things we're going to cover. We're going to start in verse 14. I'm thinking the last thing, because I know everybody's wondering, is what about the rapture? That'll be the last teaching I do, I think. I'll, I'll end it all off by sharing with you what I, how I see the rapture in all of this. Some people don't believe in the rapture. Some people believe in the rapture. Some are pre, post, mid. Stick around. You'll find out. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you, hallelujah, that you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords, and that you are redeeming the world unto yourself. The earth is groaning. It's travailing for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. May us in our innermost being, may our spirits, our spiritual man groan within us for the, for the revealing 
of our true nature because when Jesus comes, we shall see him. And in a split second, we will be like him because we will know exactly who we are in him. When we see Jesus, our spirit's going to say, that's who I am. And we'll be transformed. But Lord, we live in a world that has enemies. But we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. And the only reason we can say that is because you loved us. You loved us with an unspeakable love. It is so hard, Lord, that people make up false teachings because it's so hard to understand how a holy, perfect God would ever get dirty in our mess. That's why it takes faith that you would become one of us, that you would suffer, that you would struggle, that you would sweat, that you would know hunger, that you'd know what it was like to go without sleep, that you would understand rejection, that you would be willing to submit yourself to those things, and then that you would give your life by dying on a cross. And you did that for each one of us so that we could know you, so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God, that we can be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through faith in our God and in his salvation. If there's anyone here today or there's anybody watching on the live stream and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord, but down deep inside of you, something is saying, this is true, I need this, I need to be born again. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, take my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Forgive me for my sins and make me the righteousness of God in you. Come into my life. We just receive that. We love you. We praise you. And we proclaim boldly that the best is yet to come. Amen.